I had a friend tell me once that I shouldn't read some of the older books because there's so much better stuff out there. And I said, well, I mean, I, and he was specifically talking about Huck Finn. Uh, he's black. The N-word was used in I, I, The Adventures of Tom Sawyer is the one I actually read. And he was telling me, uh, oh, there's so much better out there. And I asked him, like, what? He said, well, I don't know. And then I asked him if he ever read, you know, The Adventures of, Huck, of Tom Sawyer. He said, well, no, I've never read. Well, then how do you know? This is this next book, this chapter from this book I'm going to read is an example of that. Just like Orwell, just like Huxley, these books actually have a message that can apply today. So we're going to read chapter 15 of the Screw Tape Screw Tape Letters by C.S. Lewis. This is Gene and you're listening to Dumbasses Talking Politics. Hey, hey, this is Gene. Welcome back to Dumbasses Talking Politics, a Saturday edition. Yes, and it's Saturday night. I know I was supposed to read this uh, chapter a little earlier today. It didn't happen. I, We are building a kid's playground outside. I feel like Jimmy Carter and his little project that he does. And then Josie ended up with uh, her car not starting, and I, it ended up being late. I'm kind of wired because of all the crap that's happened today. So I've decided to talk about, I've decided to do it still today on a Saturday. And uh, we're going to read a, a chapter, chapter 15 of the Screw Tape Letters. Now, C.S. Lewis uh, actually did. C.S. Lewis, which is Clive Staple Lewis, by the way. He wrote a he wrote several books. He wrote over 30 books. Screw Tape Letters was one of his most famous and it actually wasn't a book. It was a series of letters that was published in the Guardian magazine in England. The Guardian magazine was from the church it was actually the mag, official magazine for the Church of England. And uh, he wrote started writing this in 1942. And it's it's fantastic. It's a great book, and it's very easy to read because it is literally a series of I think thirty two different articles from the Guardian. And what makes this really interesting is how we actually presented this. But first, let's talk a little bit about Clive Staples. Yes, that's his name, Clive Staples. No wonder he calls himself C.S. He was born in eighteen ninety eight, and in England. And initially became a an English literature professor at Oxford University in 1959. He eventually became the chair of medieval and Re- Renaissance literature at Cambridge. Uh, he was an ardent Christian and the most influential Christian philosopher of the 20th century. Now, he's written 30 books. And one of the books you probably read back in high school was called The Chronicles of Narnia. Uh, actually, the mo- if you ha- don't remember the Chronicles of Narnia, you'll probably remember this one, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. That was, I believe, book four in the Chronicles of Narnia. Now, many who, who criticized the Chronicles of Narnia saw it as kind of fantasy, witchcraft, mysticism, and a lot of these were Christians, much like Harry Potter is seen in that way, 
which by the way, I think it's crap. I, I don't buy any of that, but a lot of people say that. But the reality of the matter is Chronicles of Narnia, Narnia actually had a lot of Christian principles, Christian philosophy, Christian virtue and values. It was actually a very Christian series of books. So if you, these people who were sitting back and saying, no, this is all about, I, I don't know, mysticism, and it should be banned. And, and Catholic schools actually wanted to ban this at, at, at one point. I, I, very, very, very poor understanding of what he was actually saying in those books. Now, back in high school, there was a, a book that a lot of people told me to read. Or, actually, not a lot of people. It was recommended in high school, my religion class, because I went to Catholic high school. It was called The Screwtape Letters. <coughs> it was actually one of C.S. Lewis's most famous de delving into Christian philosophy. It wasn't a book. Okay, it wasn't a book. It was initially published, like I said, it was published as a magazine article for The Guardian. But what it's about, it's a series of letters, about 32 letters, from a middle management demon who's working from hell, named Screwtape, to a novice demon whose job it is to actually tempt human beings to commit sin so that their souls would be sent to hell. Now that novice demon is named Wormwood. And the letters are basically a series of instructions from hell to Wormwood on how he can tempt human beings. Now, the human being in the book, is in the stories or in the letters, is called the patient. And so he's trying to why is he called the patient? He's called the patient so the demon can cure his disease from the enemy. The enemy being God. So that he can collect the soul and get it to hell. What's interesting about the book, it's not only how the demons can actually... The, it's not only the philosophy of the hell of hell it's also the philosophy of heaven it's what god is trying to do this is why i, I picked letter 15 or chapter 15 it's actually letter 15 because it's very interesting on how we are to live or how we're supposed to go through life and so it's 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 just a really interesting philosophy and we're going to talk a lot about the philosophy, not just of this letter, but of the entire book. Okay? And I'm going to sum it up with the quote that is in the beginning, in the first letter. It says this, quote, It does not matter how small the sins are provided, that their cumulative effect is to edge the man away from the light and out into nothing. Murder is no better than cards, if cards can do the trick. They're talking about gambling. Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, 
without sudden turnings, without milestones, without sideposts. Now we're going to talk a little bit about that. This, this is a very powerful, powerful quote from this book. And it makes you think. The point is you do not need to break the Ten Commandments to end up in hell. It's the little selfish deeds that you do on a daily basis that matters. The book, though written almost 80 years ago, is very relevant today. This chapter specifically is extremely relevant. Now, like I said, I'm going to read letter 15. Now, what letter 15 talks about is Wormwood's challenges while the patient, or the soul he's trying to tempt, is sitting around during a lull uh, during World War II. So basically what happens is there's, there's, a, there's a huge problem. When you are fighting in war, you've got nothing but chaos, which, by the way, is hell. Hell is chaos. Here's the, diff- here's the difference between you two. Hell is chaos. Heaven is order. Okay, it's perfect order, and hell is perfect chaos. It's trying to get the mind into the chaotic. Now, what is happening is war is the perfect time for a soul to actually lose itself because war is complete chaos. The mind is chaotic and there's fear and there's worry and there's lots of bad things in war. But when there's a lull, Wormwood is afraid that he may lose his patient because now he can sit back and he can think and he can come back to God. And that's something he's really having an issue with. Screwtape, the middle management demon, well, he's got some advice for him. And by the way, this advice is advice we should all be listening to but take it in the opposite. I, it's a, such a great chapter. I love this chapter. I'm so glad I'm reading this. And trust me, we're going to do a lot of Saturday episodes, and they're going to be really bizarre episodes. We're gonna. I've got two more episodes that talk about uh, my big problem. The next episode might be about uh, about children and cell phones and big tech because I've got a real heavy thing about that. And then one episode, probably two weeks from now, right before the baseball playoffs start, I got to talk about the way our our hitters in today's major league are batting because it's terrible. It's absolutely terrible. I hate it. But today we're going to talk about letter 15 from the screw tape letters. Okay, here we go. My dear Wormwood, remember this is a... Uh, this is a letter. Had I had noticed, of course, that the humans were having a lull in their European war. That's World War II. What they naively call the war. And I'm not surprised that there is corresponding lull in the patient's anxieties. Do we want to encourage this or to keep him worried? Tortured fear and stupid confidence are both desirable states of mind. Our choice between them raises important questions. Now don't forget, these are two demons talking about temptation. The humans live in a time, but our enemy destines them to eternity. 
He therefore, I believe, the enemy being God, wants them to attend chiefly to two things, to eternity itself and to the point of time which they call the present. For the present is the point at which time touches eternity. Of the present moment, and of it only, humans have experience, excuse me, analogous to the experience which our enemy has of reality as a whole. In it alone, freedom and actuality offered them. He would therefore have them continually concerned either with eternity, which means being concerned with him, or with the present, either meditating on their internal union with or separation from him, or else obeying the present voice of conscience, bearing the present cross, receiving the present grace, giving thanks for the present pleasure. This is something Lewis has, brings up a lot. He actually brings it up in, in the Chronicles of Narnia also. Uh, the present and eternity are connected because God and conscience, conscience, I believe, means the Holy Spirit. Uh, Proverbs talks about this a lot in the Bible. Uh, these are always with us right now. And God wants us in the present so that we can actually always be thinking of him at the moment and thinking of missing him at the moment and thinking about our future with him in eternity. That's why they consider eternity and the present, uh, eternity and the present actually joined together. The demons don't want this. They like chaos. And there is one part of chaos they can actually create. And that's by getting the individual out of the present and thinking of what? Well, let's read on. Uh, one more thing before we, we move on. Um, Jordan Peterson talks about order and chaos in his two books, uh, his latest two books. And he talks about order and chaos, both as complete separates and that we live in kind of a combination between the two. He talks a lot about this in those books, both books. Uh, I can't remember. Um, 12 Steps for Life. Okay. Uh, I would suggest reading a little bit of those because they're, they're actually very good. He explains them very well. It's very C.S. Lewis-like. Okay, here we go. Our business is to get them away from the eternal and from the present. With this in view, we sometimes tempt a human, say a widow or a scholar, to live in the past. But this is, this is of limited value, for they have some real knowledge of the past, and it is determined nature, determinate nature, and to some extent resembles eternity. So what he's basically saying here is that you can't count on the past to create that chaos. The reason you can't count on the past to create that chaos is there are certain times in the past which are good. And so a person can actually look at the good in the past and realize bring, it'll actually bring them closer to God, closer to heaven. Now, he mentions, he mentions the, uh, the widow or the scholar, okay? The reason he's talking about the widow, think of a death. Let's say, uh, I'll, t I'll talk about the death of my son. This is a good example. Now, at the time, 
in a bad state of mind, I may look at the past and I may look at the death of my son as something absolutely terrible, as something uh, just God awful. And why is there a God? A lot of people do this, by the way, where um, I, I saw it with, when my uh, fiance's sister died, where somebody, how can God do this? How can it, this is just a terrible thing? Well, here's the problem. Sometimes people actually from death grow healthy. They grow healthier and they actually can grow a stronger sense of God. Now, I was lucky. I had a huge support group and that support group helped me through this so that I appreciated the life I had with my son. And I actually ended up closer to God because of the death of my son. I am actually, I think, a happier person now because I've come to grips with things. Now, that doesn't mean I'm thrilled that he died, but it, what it means is that I have needed to take care of myself. I needed to understand what I was going through. And I needed to understand that maybe there's something there. There's some reason this happened. And I believe that that actually happened to me. So me, for the devil, for the tempter, Wormwood, to come to me and try and make me look at live in the past and think that's going to bring up the chaos because my son died, it's actually going to probably do the opposite. It's going to make me closer to God, closer to heaven, closer to serenity, contentment. And that's something that just the devil can't have. And that's what he's saying. The scholar, the same thing. The scholar may look at history, and for some reason, historians, they never look at the good, real good parts of history. They always look at what's bad about history. And they they make pronouncements, pronouncements, and people may look at it and say, oh, gosh, this is terrible. I think that's where he's coming to. Let's look at our schools today. Schools today make history look, U.S. history, for example, look like it's a terrible thing. Well, it's not. It's, it's, there's good and there's bad. Me, I look at the history of the United States and I think it's a good history. We've had a good history. Yeah, we've got our black marks, but I definitely don't think our history was chaotic or terrible or, or we're all awful people because we, we live in this country. But that's the point. He, he, he says you can't, um, Screwtape is saying you can't trust this. Okay, let's move on because I'm talking a little bit more than I want to. It is far better to make them live in the future. Biological necessity makes all their passions point out in the direction already so that their thought about the future inflames hope and fear. Also, it is unknown to them so that in making them think about it, we make them think about the unrealities. In a word, the future is, of all things, the thing that is least like eternity. It is the more completely temporal part of time, for the past is frozen and no longer flows, and the present is all lit up with internal rays. Hence, the encouragement we have given to all those schemes of thought, such as create creative evolution, scientific humanism, or communism, which fix men's affections on the future, remember that, on the very core of tempor uh, temporality. Hence, nearly all vices are rooted in the future. Gratitude looks to the past and love to the present. Fear, avarice, lust, ambition, look ahead. The future, okay, this is me now. 
the future is chaos. It is not real yet. And where we go is unknown. This creates fear. This creates anticipation. And what he's basically saying is it makes us, our minds, run through all of the different sins from the seven deadly sins. We're going to talk about the seven deadly sins in a few minutes. But you you ever know that person who doesn't commit to someone because he always believes there's something, someone better will come along? That makes that individual more susceptible to sin. That will make that man more susceptible to cheat. That will make that man more susceptible to, to break this woman's heart. He leads a woman on. He satisfies his needs and his lusts, but refuse the commitment to her or the present. He is always thinking of the future. He's always looking for more. And the problem is the future is empty. The future isn't there. The future is not real. The past is real. The present is the ultimate of reality. Maybe in the future he'll get that blonde bombshell that will make everyone envy him and that he just absolutely adores. That's the pride and lust talking right there from the seven deadly sins. Here's the problem. When he does get that blonde bombshell, you know what's going to end up happening? He won't be able to bring himself back into the present. He will always be in the future. He won't commit to that blonde bombshell either because he'll be thinking he's never satisfied. He's constantly in chaos. And these create the sins of the present, the little sins of the present. And those little sins of the presence are what these two demons are trying to push. And uh, politically, this is the problem with Marxism. And more in today's life, democratic socialism. It is the promise of a utopia, of what life could be like under Marxism or democratic uh, socialism. We now, they, the Democrats do the same thing. The left does, not necessarily the Democrats. The left does the same thing. They don't want us to look into the past because we look into the past. Democratic socialism, which was in Venezuela and in Cuba, and Marxism, which was everywhere else, China, wherever, China, Soviet Union. They don't want us to look in the past because we know if you look in the past, it was terrible. It was awful. Here's the problem with utopia. It can never happen. This is something many philosophers have talked about. Jordan Peterson writes about this constantly. So does, um, so does, uh, uh, so does Ben Shapiro. Utopia is defined as total order. Total, total order requires collective cooperation. The collective is made up of individuals. Individuals are not all the same, and that creates chaos within the order. Utopia requires there to be no chaos, and that all individuals join to the will of the collective. If those people do not join the will of the collective, the the utopia will need to actually go in and quell those chaotic individuals. And that becomes tyranny. 
And that's when people end up in gulags. That's when people end up dead. And then there endeth utopia. You no longer have utopia. Utopia cannot exist because human beings do not want utopia. They are not perfect and it can't happen. This is not my philosophy. This is already shown to happen in the past. Soviet Union and Russia today is the same thing. Vietnam, Cambodia, China, North Korea, Cuba, Venezuela. And that's just a small list. It has failed everywhere it's been tried. Venezuela, Hugo Chavez was a a democratic socialist. And when people point this out to him, oh, well, he didn't do it right. He did exactly what you want done. The quest for utopia, which is an imagined perfect world, can only be seen in the future. It can never be in the present. It will never, it has never been done in the past. And it only leads to misery, suffering, and death. Therefore, groups like Antifa and BLM and the Democratic Socialists, people like Bernie Sanders, AOC, Elizabeth Warren, you can easily look at those people and say, you know what? Those people are evil. And C.S. Lewis would probably agree. Okay, let's continue on now. To be sure, the enemy wants men to think of the future, too, just so much as it's necessary for now planning and acts of justice or charity, which will probably be their duty tomorrow. The duty of planning the morrow's work is today's duty, though its material is borrowed from the future. The duty, like all duties, is in the present. This is not straw-splitting. He does not want men to give the future their hearts, to place their treasure in it. We do. His ideal is a man who, having worked all day for the good of posterity, if that is his vocation, washes his mind of of the whole subject, commits the issue to heaven, and returns at once to the patience and gratitude demanded by the moment that is passing over him. But we want a man hag-ridden by the future, haunted by the visions of an imminent heaven or hell upon earth, ready to break the enemy's commands in in the present, if by so doing we make him think he can attain one or avert the other, dependent for his faith on the success or failure of schemes whose end he will not live to see. We want a whole race of perpetu- perpetually. We want a whole race perpetually in pursuit of the rainbow's end, never honest, nor kind, nor happy. Now, but always using a mere fuel with wherewith to heap the altar of the future, every real gift which is offered them in the present. All right, couple things here. So the first thing is that. The the few, the uh, God does want you to plan for the future, but plan for the future with Him in mind and with your heart in the present. So, for example, oh, geez, I gotta I gotta do this at work tomorrow. Yes, I am letting the future dictate what I'm going to do, but He doesn't want you enslaved to it. And some of the things that uh, Screw Tape says here is pretty brutal, if you think about it. We want a whole race perpetually in pursuit of the rainbow's end, which doesn't exist. Never honest, nor kind, nor happy now, but always using a mere fuel wherewith they heap the altar of the future, every gift which is offered them in the present. It's nothing but chaos. It's a maelstrom. Maelstrom. That's all the future is. 
and they make the future sound horrid. And they make he, and and Lewis makes the future sound horrid for a reason. He makes it sound horrid, a maelstrom, a storm, total chaos. He makes it sound horrid because he wants you to, to feel like, my God, I would feel crappy if I'm in that position where I'm I'm thinking about this and that and that, and it it could or couldn't may never come, and I may never be satisfied. He wants you thinking like that. I love that line. Continuing, it follows then, in general, the other things being equal, that it is better for you, your patient, that's the guy he's trying to tempt, to be filled with anxiety or hope, doesn't matter much which, about this war than for him to be living in the present. But the phrase, living in the present, is ambiguous. It may describe a process which is really just as much concerned with the future as anxiety itself. Your man may be untroubled about the future, not because he is, un he is concerned with the present, but because he has persuaded himself that the future is going to be agreeable. As long as that is the real course of his tranquility, his tranquility will do us good, because it is, the, it is only piling up more disappointments and therefore more impatience for him when his false hopes are dashed. If, on the other hand, he is aware of the horrors, that horrors may, may be in store for him and is praying for the virtues wherewith we meet him, meet them. And meanwhile, concerning himself with the present, because there and there alone, all duty, all grace, all knowledge, and all pleasure dwell, his state is very undesirable and should be attacked at once. So again, this is just another, another, point where the future is you could actually have somebody thinking about the future but this time they actually feel content they feel they're going to have a good future and they're not worried about the future and that's a good thing for the demons too and the reason is because as the future comes things don't always work out things usually don't work out let's call it what it is things usually don't work out things go bad and then as the future passes, for example, I'm thinking I'm going to, I am a high school kid and I, I'm dealing with this now. I'm a high school kid and I'm going to go to Harvard University or Yale University. I'm going to become a great lawyer. I'm going to get a job. I'm thinking about my future far ahead. Does this sound familiar? That's what most teenagers are doing now. And then um, they take their, their grades aren't that great because they're on their phones all the time. They're not doing well on their, their LSAT tests, their SATs. They don't quite get into Harvard. One disappointment after another. And then they, they find out their LSATs are too low and no law school wants them. Another disappointment. Then they end up becoming a legal clerk. Another disappointment. They don't make the money they want. Another disappointment. The devils like that too. The devils, the, the hell and the devils, they, they love that because it means as you hit, even if you're not worried about your future because you're young, every little problem that comes in your future will become a disappointment and that disappointment will create anger, hate, chaos. And that's all they're looking for. So let's finish this up. Here again, our phil philo philological arm has done good work. Try the word complacency on him. 
But, of course, it is most likely that he is living in the present, for none of these reasons, but simply because his health is good, and he's enjoying the work. The phenomenon would be uh, then be, oh, the phenomenon would then be merely natural. All the same, I would break it up if I were you. No natural phenomenon is really in our favor. And anyway, why should the creature be happy? Your affectionate uncle, screw tape. Now, I'm going to, to uh, make a statement that I think might sound blasphemous. I'm not sure C.S. Lewis would think so. I think the Bible kind of got things a little bit backwards. The most dangerous sins are actually in the Ten Commandments. The seven, those are the sins that if you commit a murder, you go into hell unless you make some real big changes in your life. There's not a lot. But the seven deadly sins, the reason... I, you know what? I take it back. The, the Bible didn't get it wrong. I, I, I'll just simply by the term seven deadly sins. The seven deadly sins are actually the most dangerous sins. They're called... The seven deadly sins are the little vices. Um, oh, let's see if I can remember them all. Sloth. Uh, sloth. Lust. Gluttony. Envy, pride, anger, rage, or um, um, anger, rage, or vengeance. Uh, I can't remember. I can't remember the last one. But those are the most dangerous sins for the average human being, because the average human being commit, uh, commits those on a daily basis. I talked to Josie about this, and she agreed. But she said the sedly, seven deadly sins left unchecked could lead to the breaking of one of the Ten Commandments. And I think she hit that right. For example, let's say um, envy and pride. Envy and envy and vengeance. I see some guy, he's got what I want, and I'm really bent out of shape about it. That could lead to a breaking of one of the Ten Amendments. Could mean that I'm actually going to steal or I'm going to kill him. Right? Lust and pride. I deserve better than this woman I have, so I'm not going to commit to. I'm not going to commit to her, because I know there's going to be a hotter chick out there. You've got now. You just you're basically breaking a commandment, sort of breaking. That's more just seven deadly sin stuff. But this is one of the things Lewis talks about in the uh, Screw Tape Letters, and it became real apparent in the introduction I said, where I read that initial quote, it's the little sins that most people end up in hell for. It's the pride, envy, gluttony, lust, anger, greed, and sloth stacked on top of each other, day in and day out, that pushes the human further from God. And typically... Those, it's the anticipation of that stuff. And that's why we're always in the future when we're thinking about this stuff. In this chapter, pushing man to living in the future pushes man away from God and the eternal. And it opens up the pathways to all of those little sins to get what they want. For example, I won't commit to her because I deserve more. I'm going to wait for someone better to come along. Pride. Could be a little bit of envy. Lust. You just committed sins by looking into the future. 
I'm going to be rich one day. I'm going to go to Harvard. There you've got greed. You've got pride again. And then I'll live the good life. The sloth. The future creates the confusion and fear that the devils need so that they can commit these little sins. And the problem is, if a person truly does live in the present, they're always looking at, well, what can I do that's going to be right today? I'm with God. I think I'm with God now. I feel great with that. I always think about today, maybe tomorrow. What am I going to do tomorrow? I never think three weeks, four weeks, ten years from now. I can't do that. I had a very difficult life in the past, and I appreciate it. I appreciated having my bank account emptied every before every paycheck, living paycheck to paycheck. Because what it did is, it taught, it taught me to live in the present, think about the future only enough to make sure I do right, and it taught me the discipline that I needed to actually succeed. And then when I did come out of all that, I'm a much better person and I appreciate everything that's happened. But the, see, that's the thing. I'm living in the present. I'm thinking about the future. And I didn't realize why I was so happy all the time. Why I would start a podcast. I, I Why I would go out and get guitar lessons. Because I want to be better. I want to be a better person. And I'm not thinking that far ahead. So, um, either way, uh, the being in the future works for the devil. I'm not working for the devil. Now, the other thing I want to point out is living in the present also makes you realize you are sinning. For example, I do this. I mean, every man does it. You see a hot-looking chick, and then you imagine what you're going to do to her, what you would do to her. There's lust. The kicker is I'm saying, oh, God, that's really not a cool thing to say. I do this all the time. Listen, I this is a great book. I think it's great. And every chapter, it goes through this, the seven deadly sins. It never talks about stealing. They never try and tempt uh, the patient to steal. They never try and tempt the patient to murder. They never try and tempt the patient to have an uh, affair, though they do mention we they can get that person to have an affair, commit adultery, basically. They just teach their the the... Wormwood is just trying to get the patient to do the little things, the little sins that over time begin to pile up and eventually he ends up becoming hell's target. Okay, this book was really good. I had no desire to read it. I've read it already once and a half because I just thought it was that good. And it's an extremely easy read. This is a very easy read. It's probably about 150 pages. Each chapter, 32 chapters, and each chapter is about two pages. I, The first time I read it, I actually was reading another book, which was an excellent book, by the way, um, about uh, by Josh Hawley, about the big tech. Great book. But this book is, I literally read two, two letters a day finished it in 15 days, and then now I just read it from page cover to cover. It was just, it's a really good book. Very good book. So that's the Screw Tape Letters by C.S. Lewis. 
I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed the philosophy philosophy by it. If you don't agree with something or or you think we could talk, uh, do me a favor. Just leave a message and and let's talk about it. You can follow me on Twitter at RunninFool, R-U-N-N-I-N-F-E-W-L. And you can send me messages. Uh, friend me and I'll, I'll just send messages back and forth. Uh, visit my, Well, you, there's nothing on my website because this was all off the top of my head. I'm sure you could pretty much tell. I hope you guys have a great weekend. Talk to you on Monday. This is Gene. You've listened to Dumbasses Talking Politics. Oh, <laughs>